On today's show, rookie quarterbacks are struggling. Matthew Stafford is the early season MVP. And through both of these prisms, we talk about the importance of situation. Before we get there, I will give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Saturday afternoon, Cincinnati Bearcats go to the home of Touchdown Jesus. Notre Dame fighting Irish. Cincinnati is favored by two points. That is the bet we will be taking. I'm going to start this with words that will most definitely come back to haunt me. I do not think Notre Dame is very good. I definitely know their offensive line is quite bad because they have given up 21 sacks in only four games. They're amongst the bottom three teams in the nation in that category. Somehow I've watched all their games and it has felt even worse. I do not trust them to block anybody, much less Cincinnati. I will also say something that will probably come back to haunt me as well. I think Cincinnati is actually pretty good. I'm a big believer in Luke Fickle as a coach. I'm a big believer in Desmond Ritter as a quarterback, and I most definitely believe in that Cincinnati Bearcats defense. Now, does it feel weird to lay points with Cincinnati at Notre Dame as Touchdown Jesus is standing up there with the arms looking down on the field a little bit? But we are riding with the Bearcats. We're holding firm to the belief that they are pretty good and Notre Dame is not. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Because if Touchdown Jesus can smile down on a football game, then he can smile down at gambling on a football game. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. Situation is everything. I'm going to get out my megaphone. I'm going to climb on top of the highest mountain. I'm going to shout it for 30 straight minutes just so everybody can get on board with what I believe is a foundational principle in the world of sports and really just in life. Uh, If you're a CEO and you have an entire company of incompetent employees, you will have a business that does not perform very well. Pretty simple, easily acknowledged fact in the world of business. Strangely enough, we don't necessarily extend the same logic into the world of sports, which is why I record a show pretty much every week since this show has started about this exact thing, that situation is everything. One of my favorite examples that I will always start with is LeBron James, who during his first stint with Cleveland, he's a bum, he can't win, <laughs> let's, let's all make fun of LeBron. 2010, they're flaming out in the second round against the Celtics, oh, it's all because of LeBron, he's just not good enough, he's not a winner. Those were the takes, right? Skip Bayless is whipping all of his clowns into a frenzy and they're honking their noses and blowing out confetti because LeBron's just not equipped for this kind of of winning. You know, he's not good enough. He, He lacks the winning gene. And two years later, in 2012, a player that was virtually the same, was LeBron marginally better? Yes, but only marginally. Uh, suddenly is a world champion and then goes on to win three more after that. And what really happened there? Well, he exchanged a team that did not have a lot of talent in the 2010 Cavs with a team that did. Uh, Dwayne Wade in his prime and Chris Bosh and a great coach and Eric Spolstra and people who could space and play defense like Mike Miller or Shane Battier. That is what is important in a team sport. It's creating a situation that is beneficial for all parties involved. You need that at the very highest level. If LeBron needs it, who is the greatest basketball player I've ever watched, then everybody needs it in any sport. So it's football season, the ultimate team sport. 11 starters on offense, 11 on defense, your special teams units, 
variety of substitution patterns that have players switching in and out on all of these things. You extend that out and you go, well, there's coaching too at each of these positional units and scheme across the board. And then you extend it out and you go, there's a front office that's in charge of building this roster and making trades and drafting and all this stuff. And they're all supposed to work in unison. So for each person who is a cog in this chain, from the top to the bottom, situation is everything. It's a little bit of a paradox because I don't mean to say that a situ- or an individual has no possible impact on a situation. They do. Individual talent at any given position in that chain I just described, player, coach, front office, they all play a role, Right? They all help raise the ceiling of the unit, but only marginally. What is going to dictate the ultimate ceiling is whether or not you have built this out in its entirety. The individual is beholden to the surroundings. So I bring this up three weeks into the NFL season because now is a great time to examine this kind of paradox, right? The individual has some say, but really is quite powerless, as I talked about a lot on Monday when I was ranting and raving. And what is important is building out a situation so that each individual can thrive. There's a lot of narratives through three weeks that have popped up specific to quarterbacks. As I mentioned on yesterday's show about college football, three games, it's enough to know something. Not a ton, not everything, but it's enough to start talking knowledgeably about situation, about a team, about a player. And it's definitely enough to flush out this specific topic as an early season talking point. Situation is everything. Let's examine this. Let's talk about this. Let's look at some examples across the league that represent what I believe to be a foundational principle in any walk of life. So we'll start with the rookie quarterbacks because... Like everybody, situation is everything for rookie quarterbacks. Uh, I I recorded some shows before football season began talking about I'm very interested to watch all of these first-round quarterbacks. There are four of them that are currently starting, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. And I also said, let's be a little bit wary because I'm not sure how beneficial each of these situations are to these players, especially to the number one and the number two picks in the draft, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. This past Sunday was an abject disaster for all four of these players. Justin Fields making his first career start. The other three, Lawrence, Wilson, and Jones, they've started every game so far. If you extract the one game that the Jets played the Patriots, Wilson and Jones going head-to-head, these quarterbacks are winless, and more importantly, they are winless against the spread. So even by the expectations from Vegas, which are usually pretty razor sharp, they're still falling below those. Part of why we're taking the Jaguars on Thursday night, because there has to be value with that team that cannot win against the spread currently. There just has to. So during this Sunday abomination of just ineptitude on offense. These four quarterbacks combined, these stats come courtesy of Mike Sandel of The Athletic. These four quarterbacks combined to throw two touchdowns total, seven interceptions total. 
They took 19 sacks combined, and their offenses, most importantly, averaged a mere 3.8 yards per play. It was ugly. And nothing represented this more than the Chicago Bears at the Cleveland Browns. Justin Fields, his first career start. I watch every snap of that game, and I regretted it about half a minute into the game. Because the game plan that Chicago rolled out there with Justin Fields, it was not for the faint of heart. I had to watch the game through my fingers. I was trying to cover my face like it was a horror film. And then every once in a while, I'd look through and I'd see him getting sacked. And I'd go, oh, no, 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 no. Just by himself in that game. Justin Fields is sacked nine times. The Chicago Bears offense averages 1.1 yards per play. That is the worst in an NFL game since 2004. That is the second worst in an NFL game since 1981. A historically bad offensive performance as a unit. The most shocking stat of the entire season so far comes from his passing line. Because Justin Fields attempted 20 passes. And if you're calculating net passing yards, you take how many yards were thrown for and you subtract sack yardage. For Justin Fields, he threw for 68 yards, and he was sacked nine times for a total of 67 yards. So in 20 passing attempts, the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields netted one passing yard. You will never in your life see another stat line that approximates that in the NFL game. I've never seen it before. I feel very confident saying we will never see it again. So it was just hideous. It was horrendous, right? was so bad that as I was watching, I, I was thinking this game should be played at halftime of, of a Thursday night game. The ultimate grubby game, Thursday night, which the NFL dedicates every week. They should treat it like the Super Bowl used to have the dog bowl or whatever those. I think they played lingerie bowls in the past at halftime of the Super Bowl. They should have taken this Bears game and folded it into the Texans-Panthers halftime and just said, play for like 10 minutes, wear some lingerie, and then we'll just be done. We'll give Cleveland a win. We won't have to watch the rest of this. That's how this game should have been treated. It's very, very hard to watch. So people start piling on because, again, it was atrocious. Uh, And the hopes and dreams for Justin Fields' first start, they were quickly just smashed, hammered right into the ground. And as I was watching, I was just like, there's nothing about this game that put this guy in position to succeed. Not one thing that this team did put him in a position to play to his strengths and just spoon feed a rookie quarterback in his first career start on the road against a really good team. Nothing was there for him. And this is kind of true across the board as I've been watching these rookie quarterbacks. Again, all these teams have been incredibly hard to watch especially on the offensive side. Zach Wilson, the New York Jets, I've unfortunately watched all their games. It's the same watching experience. You cover your face and you creak open your fingers every so often and you're seeing Zach Wilson getting flattened like a pancake and you go, I hope he's getting up. Nothing that the Jets are doing is putting him in position to succeed. Jaguars situation, I mean, it's almost as depressing, maybe just as much, honestly. Seems like Urban Meyer should probably just walk out the door right now and turn things over to anybody, a fan in the crowd, and then maybe start anew next year with a different coaching staff. Patriots offense, it's just as anemic as any of these bottom feeder offenses. Mac Jones, 
He's throwing picks on Sunday. Saints are returning him for touchdowns. It's just disaster across the board. Now, I don't know if any of these quarterbacks are good. I'll be very, very upfront about this. They might be. They might not. We probably won't know for a long time based upon how these early season situations are playing out. But what's been interesting is a lot of takes start flying around because, you know, this is how coverage of the sport works. And one of the prominent ones is, oh, man, this rookie quarterback class, it might be garbage, man. Look at how poorly all of these quarterbacks are playing. They're winless. They're winless against the spread. If you extract the one game where the two rookie quarterbacks played, Justin Fields just turned in one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. Does this just mean that all of these players are bad? So this is where we start to really, really talk about this with a lot more nuance and examine, okay, if situation is everything, what is going on with these quarterbacks? I mentioned Mike Sandel of The Athletic earlier. And as he's talking about these rookie quarterbacks, he's interviewing various people. And he pulls a quote from an NFL executive that I want to read to you about these four rookie quarterbacks that started on Sunday. The common theme is that all four of their teams do not have good offensive lines. The tackle situations in particular are problematic. If you don't have good offensive lines, you don't have the ability to be complimentary, to take pressure off the quarterback. If he is seeing ghosts and you can't run the ball, that is where you get the low point totals, end quote. So a common theme for poor quarterback play in general is exactly that. It's bad offensive lines. You can extend this out well beyond rookie quarterbacks. They're already under siege because they're trying to learn how to play quarterback in a league that is eight times faster than college. That's already hard in and of itself. Learn a new scheme, do all this stuff on the fly. If you have a poor offensive line there, you're not really set up to succeed in the short-term future. Now, even people who have all of that first part covered, quarterbacks that are veterans, if you have a bad offensive line, well, that's kind of a problem because you are only as good as your line allows you to be. This is just a truth of playing the quarterback position. Look no further than Patrick Mahomes in last year's Super Bowl, an example I keep going back to because it's so pertinent to this specific point that situation is everything. The guy who everyone agrees is the best player in football is running for his life the entire game against Tampa Bay's front four that is annihilating Kansas City's piecemeal offensive line. They set a Super Bowl record for defensive pressures in the game. Kansas City Chiefs score nine points, the worst offensive output of the Mahomes-Andy Reid era, and they are blown out by Tampa. Even Patrick Mahomes, a guy whose individual talent definitely raises your ceiling, it's still marginal compared to the entire situation. And if that offensive line is not there, then even Patrick Mahomes is beholden to that. So going back to the rookie quarterbacks and just what has been a disastrous first month for all of these players, it's probably going to be impossible to form real opinions about any of these rookies for years. The 2018 draft class, Lamar, Baker, Josh Allen, it's been a years-long process to arrive at the specific point in time that we are currently at with all three of those quarterbacks. They were drafted in 2018. Josh Allen was the laughing stock of NFL Twitter for two years. 
Everybody said, oh, look at him overthrow this wide open tailback. He's atrocious. He can't be accurate. Why'd they draft a guy from Wyoming who threw for 50% in his career in college? Of course he's going to be bad in the NFL. And now we're going, yeah, he's just, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, he is one of the three best quarterbacks in this sport in present day. Lamar Jackson's coming to the league. Ah, you can't draft a running quarterback and he can't even throw the football. That Louisville stuff was crazy. He's the 2019 NFL MVP. Baker Mayfield, the number one pick overall. At first we think he's awesome. Then we think he's terrible. Then Kevin Stefanski comes in and they have a lot of roster talent. And now we're back to thinking he's good again. This stuff just waxes and wanes like the moon. So these rookie quarterbacks, especially the two at the top, the Jets and the Jaguars, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. Those situations are just abysmal. And it's hard to project into the future and realize when are these teams just going to be respectable outside of the quarterback position? When are they going to have respectable coaching staffs and, and roster talent? Right now, the jury's out on both coaching staffs. We don't really know. They deserve the benefit of the doubt, too. I mean, they're less than a month into their coaching careers uh, in these specific spots, I mean. At the same time, there's not a lot of roster talent at either place. The early returns on the coaching stuff, not promising, especially in Jacksonville. For the Jets specifically, I'm looking at them and saying, how can you not learn from the past few years? Look last year when you started Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold. And they were number one and number two in the entire NFL as most pressured quarterbacks. Just completely set up for failure. And fail they did. Because even Patrick Mahomes can't exist in an environment where you take a snap and the line is just there. And you're running backwards or you're getting flattened like a pancake. And yet the Jets, who have lived that exact existence for years, went into this season with Zach Wilson under center and said, eh, let's just maybe hope that for reasons unknown, this will work again. And instead, Zach Wilson is getting cremated multiple times a game. So I mentioned the New York Jets, and I want to expand this discussion out because situation is everything on a negative and a positive side. There's a balance to this particular concept. And I mentioned the New York Jets, and I mentioned Sam Darnold. So as we move out, I'd like to talk about him for a second because he is an interesting person to examine for situation is everything. Through three games, he's showing what can happen to a quarterback when they leave a situation that is amongst the worst in the entire league and go into something that is, at the very least, respectable. Compared to last year, Sam Darnold, who is 3-0 with the Panthers. He's had just jumps across the board. Again, this is three games, small sample size, Take it with a grain of salt, all that kind of stuff. This is merely an examination of the principle that situation is everything, that everybody is beholden to it. Through three games this year, Sam Darnold's yard per attempt, it's jumped from 6.1 last year to 8.3 this year, 2.2 yards per attempt. His passer rating, yeah, flawed stat, but still. Jumps from 72 last year to 99 this year. QBR, over double. From 32 last year to 66 this year. Panthers undefeated. They look like a normal NFL team with a good defense and playmakers on offense. 
Those things, as it turns out, help a quarterback. Getting ahead, letting your defense feast, and playing in a situation that is advantageous to you. Getting the ball out to a DJ Moore or a Robbie Anderson or a Christian McCaffrey before he hurt his hamstring. Those things help a quarterback. Who knew? I say those three things. Normal NFL team, good defense, playmakers on offense. Those are three things that in a million years you would never associate with the New York Jets last year or this year. So is Sam Darnold magically, has the light bulb gone on in his head this year compared to last year? Or can we look at it and say, hmm, seems reasonable to ascertain that he just switched to a more advantageous situation and all along maybe there's a normal NFL quarterback that was just there. Another quarterback to examine through this prism. A journeyman that, take him or leave him, nobody's really that into one way or the other. Teddy Bridgewater, also 3-0 as starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Also looking like a rejuvenated quarterback. He's throwing downfield to Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant. In a way that he's never done in the past. One of the ultimate check down artists of his time alongside Alex Smith. Instead, he's launching the ball downfield and still completing 77% of his passes through three games. For 8.7 yards per attempt. QBR of 77. In his seven-year NFL career, his previous high at QBR, 57. Again, three-game sample size. So, yeah, we acknowledge that. At the same time, a lot of people are into Teddy Bridgewater right now. Because he's playing with a maybe the best defense in football. At the very least, we know that they have a great, great defense. And the offense is clicking because Bridgewater is getting the ball out to players who are capable of making plays. And they're protecting him. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes in last year's Super Bowl. And one of the early season stories in the NFL this year is the Kansas City Chiefs are 1-2. and two. Total shocker. They could be 0-3. They could be 3-0. They could be anywhere in between. In this particular world, in this particular reality, they are 1-2. Patrick Mahomes, he has played a role in them losing, for sure. He made an atrocious throw against Baltimore with Kansas City up 11 in the second half. Turnover at midfield helped jumpstart Baltimore's rally that they ended up coming back and winning by a point. On Sunday... He throws an atrocious interception on third and eight with about two minutes to go in a tie game that ends up setting up the Chargers for their game-winning touchdown drive. Two big plays, two big swing plays, no doubt about it. At the same time, Patrick Mahomes has made uh, all of the Patrick Mahomes plays that we expect from him, touchdowns, yards, all the stuff that we celebrate and for good reason. And if you're saying, all right, well, let's examine this just beyond the quarterback, well, if you look at the positive side of what Mahomes has done, you go, well, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just doesn't fumble against Baltimore, then they waste down the clock to nothing. They kick a field goal at the buzzer to win. And we're celebrating Mahomes for his performance in that game because he did a ton of awesome stuff. Picked apart Baltimore all night long. And in the Chargers game, well, yeah, Edwards-Hilaire, he fumbled again, this time in plus territory again. And Tyreek Hill did the same thing. And, you know, if maybe we just are a little less loose with the ball, our turnover margin is not minus four in that game against the Chargers. Well, 
you know, maybe we're just winning that game and we're celebrating Mahomes for the good stuff that he did in that game. You zoom out a little bit and you say, well, yeah, that's just the offense for Kansas City. They're one and two. There's a lot of stuff that goes into a football team. There's a lot of things that go into being one and two or 0 and three or three and 0. We can pick and choose accordingly. We usually will pick depending upon just what the record is. Now let's zoom in and concentrate. For the Kansas City Chiefs, let's take a look at their defense. I come across this from Bill Barnwell of ESPN. Kansas City's defense has allowed 95 points through three games, the second most of any team. Coordinator Steve Spagnuolo's unit ranks dead last in expected points added and expected points added per snap. In an ideal scenario, the Kansas City offense was supposed to be great and the defense was supposed to be solid. Instead, the offense has been very good and the defense has been a disaster. End quote. This is just, it's such a basic truth and yet one we continually pass over. It's one that I've been very frustrated with in the middle portion of Aaron Rodgers' career as the Packers were giving up 30 points to every team that looked sideways at him, including in the playoffs. Whenever the Packers would lose because they'd score 28 points and they'd lose by a touchdown. Because we love circling around the quarterback position, it was always an Aaron Rodgers issue. Why did, why did he throw that one pass that there was a window this big and, and he didn't hit it and so it would have scored a touchdown and now the Packers lost because of it? And I've always argued that if the situation is set up and the expectation for your quarterback is you have to be literally perfect in order to win, then everybody else has failed at their job. That's what's been asked for Aaron, from Aaron Rodgers for the majority of his career. And that's why I think the Packers have failed around him. Patrick Mahomes right now and what's going on in Kansas City. There's just a whiff of that. They have a lot more talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They can actually just outscore teams for the vast majority of their existence because they're so explosive and they have a lot more talent around Patrick Mahomes on that side of the ball. At the same time, they got to look at their defense and go, well, we won a Super Bowl because our defense was solid, as Bill Barnwell put it. It wasn't great. It wasn't awesome. But it wasn't the worst defense in football. And Chris Jones would make plays because he's good. And Tyron Matthew would make an occasional play because he's good. And that's enough. Opportunistic. Not a disaster. Pair that with the best offense. Super Bowl champion. That's how that works. Through three games. And there's a lot of swing stuff that goes into these games. So just, again, remember all that kind of stuff. But through three games, their record is one and two. That's a fact. And what has played a role in that is a lot of this stuff. A couple bad Mahomes throws. A couple bad turnovers from Edwards Alaire. Defense just not playing up to expectation continually in all three of these games. Situation is everything. Chiefs and Mahomes lose on Sunday to the Chargers, who are quarterbacked by Justin Herbert. Quickly, quickly rising up the charts as one of the best players in football. He is an interesting examination point as well. I watched the vast majority of his career at Oregon in college. And at no point did I watch him and say, this guy is going to be a superstar in the NFL within the next couple of years. Oregon didn't really ask him to do anything that is his strength. He's just there and he'd run around some and he'd make a th- an occasional throw that was good. But nothing like what has happened in the NFL. 
both last year and his rookie year, and this year through three games. We're seeing what happens when a, a dude who has immense talent is put in an NFL offense and surrounded with NFL talent that is up to his caliber. Mike Williams, Keenan Allian, Austin Eckler, this year an offensive line that can actually block somewhat. NFL scheme rather than whatever Oregon was doing on offense. I just still don't know. You put him in a different situation and suddenly the Justin Herbert in college who was, I think most college fans would agree, was disappointing for what we expected from him. We now look at and say, well, maybe we have to expand out that three-person list right at the top of the best quarterbacks in football. Mahomes, Rodgers, and Josh Allen. Maybe we need to start contemplating Justin Herbert as maybe making this a a four-person race. That's how good he has been. Some of that's on him. He's got a lot of individual talent, marginally raised the ceiling. And a lot of that is situation has changed from what was going on at Oregon. And now you're seeing what can happen when he is launching bombs downfield and the people catching them are Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I'll end with Matthew Stafford of the Los Angeles Rams. A very interesting person to talk about through the prism of situation being everything. Much like the rookie quarterbacks I talked about before the season began, how excited I was to watch Matthew Stafford on a team that I think is good with a lot of things at his disposal that he could utilize. I love that he is now currently getting his due through three games. He's one of the people that I have raved about since he came to the league in 2009 with the Detroit Lions. Uh, And just had his immense talent squandered by this bungling franchise that never, never, never put him in a position to succeed. So this offseason, the Rams identify that guy's good and he's way better than Jared Goff. And Jared Goff, we went to a Super Bowl with. So what could Stafford be in this system with this team? So they trade for him. And they they go through the crazy thought experiment of what happens if you pair a talented quarterback with a good coach, with a good offensive line, with talented offensive weapons, and uh, one of the better defenses in football. What happens? Well, so far, you have one of the early season frontrunners for MVP. You have a 3-0 football team that Go read any power ranking article right now, and every single one will have the Rams right at the top, number one. A lot of that is fueled by what happened Sunday, where they beat down the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In that game, Stafford throws for 343 yards and four touchdowns. Just all of the talent of Stafford is on display. The incredible accuracy, the cannon arm, the ability to just launch it downfield when people are open and say, Deshaun Jackson, run really fast and I'll hit you. And then we'll have a 70-yard touchdown. Cooper Cup, run one of those great routes that you run. Shake your defender and 20 yards downfield, I'll just zip it right into your chest. Stafford for the season so far. He's completing 70% of his passes for 942 yards. That's over 300 per game. Nine touchdowns, one pick. Passer rating of 129, which would be the highest in his career by leaps and bounds. He's He's only had one other season of a passer rating higher than 100 in his entire career since 2009. And he currently has a QBR of 82. Across the board, just what I would consider to be impeccable quarterback play. Individual talent, it is definitely there. Situation, it's also there. So 
as we're bringing this to a close, I ask you to just think about this, you know? He's being celebrated. He's being talked about as one of the best quarterbacks in football, MVP, front runner, all that kind of stuff. Is Matthew Stafford actually a different quarterback than he was last year or the years prior when he was with Detroit? And I think a lot of us liked, not myself, but a lot of, of media and fans like to talk about, nah, you just can't really do a lot with this guy winning-wise. You know, He's not really a winner. Maybe the same LeBron critique or just go down the list of all these athletes throughout the course of time. See a different quarterback than he was last year or the years prior. No. So why is he being talked about as one of the very best quarterbacks in football by your average fan and media member through three games? And it's this great celebration of Matthew Stafford, which he definitely, most definitely deserves. Because let's pull out the megaphone. Let's climb up to the mountaintop like we started the show because situation is everything. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.